Turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be reading from verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Now a sermon should be for both saved and lost, so... Uh, this morning presentation of the gospel, as always, should be, uh, should be given, but also a challenge and an admonition for those who are already believers in Christ to examine themselves, as we'll read in verse 5, and to see how fruitful we are, to have a spiritual progress report. So, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now Paul is writing his second epistle in a canon of scripture to the Corinthian church. And let me tell you, if there was ever a church that was hard to pastor, it had to be the church in Corinth. I mean, we think, we look around at each other and we point out flaws and failures. Man, wouldn't you love to be a member of the church of Corinth? I mean, there is drunkenness, fornication, incest. There is lawsuits and fightings among church members. And Paul had to write an epistle pretty much saying, to sum it up, Knock it off. How you like that for a commentary on 1 Corinthians? It's pretty much, hey guys, stop this nonsense. If you were Christians, there should be a change in your, in your walk. There should be a change in the way that you treat others. There should be a change in the way that you live. And so here he wrote 2 Corinthians telling them to examine themselves. Now these are people who claimed Christianity, claimed that they had a relationship with God. He says, examine yourselves. In the Greek, it literally means to put to the test, to have a spiritual assessment. Now, how many of you are still in school? I can raise my hand, I'm still in school. Several of us. There comes a, a point where we get tested. And that's when anxiety and, and all of those things, tears, depression... They flare up and, and we say a lot of, we kind of catch up on our prayer life a little bit too don't we? <laughs> during those times. But there's always those midterm exams and final exams where we are tested in what we have learned. How many of us go to the doctor? We have a primary care physician that we see on a regular basis. What do we do? We go there for a, for a checkup. To see how our wellness is. To see the state of our health. But Paul was calling us to do the same thing. To do a spiritual checkup. And how do we do that? We go to our doctor. We go to the great physician. We go to Dr. Jesus and let him test our health. And so we're going to be looking here in, if you're turning your Bibles, to Second Peter Chapter 1. How do we take this assessment? What is the test that we are truly believers? Now this is not a sermon to make you doubt your salvation. As Jacob's been preaching through the book of John about believing in the Lord, and he writes that his whole gospel was to give assurance to those who 
believed upon Christ, that they may know that they have eternal life. So how do we know by examining ourselves, how do we know we are truly born again? First and foremost is knowing that we have trusted Christ for salvation. We have repented of sins, we have turned from everything, and we have turned to Him. We have let go of everything else, and we have grabbed a hold of Jesus. And we say, Lord, I am placing my faith upon You, Your Word, Your grace, Your finished work upon the cross. But also, another telltale sign that we are in the faith, we are truly born again, is that we are growing, we are progressing as Christians. We are justified, and we'll talk about that in a minute, we receive justification when we are born again. At the moment of our conversion, we are declared righteous in God's sight because we are clothed in Jesus. But as we progress in our faith, there comes sanctification, which means we are becoming more like Christ. Justification is a one-time deal. It's at the moment of conversion. We are born again. We are righteous in God's sight. But sanctification is an ongoing process and it never ends. To be sanctified literally means to be set apart. So we can know we are in the faith. Number one, we have trusted Christ as our Savior. But also, the signs and symptoms of true salvation and true conversion is that we are progressing in our faith. That we are becoming more like Christ. Paul writes in Thessalonians, he says, 1 Thessalonians 4.2, This is the will of God for you, even your sanctification. It's God's will that you become more like Christ. So we ask ourselves, do I see Christ's character in His, in His conduct, in the way that I live, in the way that I talk, in the way that I treat other people, in the way that I treat my spouse, in the way I spend my money, in the way I perform at work and the way I raise my children. Christianity is very practical. It isn't, Jesus didn't save us just to come to church once a week and sit on the pew. No, He saved us to do that, but also to live it out practically. So how, how much am I growing to become more like Him? You know, everything, every living organism that is healthy is doing two things. Number one, it's growing it's growing, isn't it? It's maturing. Now, you were born a baby, but what happened? You, you, you grew up. You're continually growing. A lot of us, including myself, we, we grow the wrong way. That's because I eat honey buns at work like every night. <laughs> but we're growing, aren't we? We're learning. Secondly, we reproduce. We make little mini-me's, don't we? So we as Christians, as healthy, vibrant Christians, the telltale signs are that we are growing in our faith and that we are reproducing. We are making disciples for Christ. He saves us and then we go and evangelize someone else. Let's look here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I love how Peter begins his second epistle. He wrote this, most scholars say, it, probably a year before or possibly even the year of his death where he was crucified upside down for his faith in Christ. He says, I'm a servant I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
to them that have obtained like precious faith. Precious is one of Peter's favorite words. He talks about um, precious blood in his first epistle. And there he talks about precious faith. And then we'll talk about him uh, saying that we have precious promises. Listen, what God gives us is precious. I want to ask us this morning, do we value what God has given us? Do we value Him? Is He precious to us? But he says, we've obtained like precious faith. You know what Peter had was not unique to himself alone. He was an apostle. He was called by Christ. But he says, you know what? You all can have the same relationship with Jesus that I have. Ain't that amazing? We can be as close to Him as the apostle Peter. He said, Christ has extended the offer of discipleship to you as well. He says, through the righteousness of God, of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. How do we get to know Him? It's by being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Notice the terminology He uses. Through the righteousness of who? God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now upon first glance, we think He's talking about two different people. In the original Greek text, this is our God and our Savior. This is two descriptions of the same person. What is Peter saying? He's saying this is proving the divinity of Christ in His Word. He is our God and our Savior. He is the second member of the Trinity. He says, Grace and peace multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. And of Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter talks much about knowledge in this second epistle. In fact, um, epigonosco or gnosko is um, mentioned about 14 times in this small epistle of three chapters. So it's important that he wants us to know something. But what does he want us to know? Better question is, who does he want us to know? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This word for knowledge is epigonosko. In Greek, it literally means super knowledge or intimate knowledge. It means that you know someone so well you have intimate fellowship with them. You know, that's what Christianity is. A lot of people approach Christianity as a, a protocol, a set of rules to be kept. Or a program. It's just someone they hear about at church. But let me tell you, Christianity is not protocol. It's not procedures. It's not programs. It's about relationship with a person. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you this morning, examine yourselves. Examine your hearts. Do you know Him personally? Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you living each day in fellowship with Him? And then he says, According as His divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. As Christians, we have been made partakers of the divine nature and divine power. And he says that He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him, through knowing Christ, who's called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. He's saying, guys, when you were born again, you were made partakers of the divine nature. My children are partakers of my nature. I feel sorry for them, don't you? <laughs> 
They're part of me. Half of my DNA. I've passed my nature on to them. You know, when we are born again, we are that's what it means to be born into the family of God. We are made partakers of His nature. You know what that means? That means I will crave the things that God craves. I will love what He loves. I will want what He wants. I will hate what He hates. I will have His nature within me. I am made new. I am clothed in His likeness, renewed in His image. But He says that He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. I know so many people that I've witnessed to and they're like, Man, I can't live the life. There's no way that I can do this Christianity thing. I'm, I'm far, far too sinful. There's no way I could keep it. And I'm like, you know what? You're exactly right. You couldn't live it. And I can't live it either. But guess what? It's the divine nature. It's the Holy Spirit living in us, living through us, living the righteous life that God requires. And that's why we surrender to Him. That's why we are every day in total dependence upon the Holy Spirit to live in and through us. And I think about a baby when they're born. They have everything that they need to grow into the person that they will be, aren't they? It's not like you start out with a, a default baby and then you go to the baby store and you start adding additions to it. And You know, I want them to have this nature and I want them to have this characteristic and this talent. Everything that they will ever be is wrapped up in that little tiny baby. Everything that they are, everything God's called them to be, every talent, every characteristic is there. It just has to, what does it do? It grows. That's what we're talking about this morning. Spiritual growth. Everything that you need to be the Christian that God has called you to be is in the Holy Spirit. Is in the divine nature. You know what you have to do? You have to feed it. You have to grow it. You have to develop it. So how do we do this? Good question. In verse 5 he says, Beside this, besides what? These exceeding precious promises. How do we grow as Christians? Through His promises. Where do we find His promises, church? In His Word. If you want to be a strong Christian, if you want to grow in godliness, if you want to have a spiritual checkup and, and have a good progress report, you've got to get in the Word. Strong Christians are Christians who live the Word. People who are used mightily by God are Christians who know, live the Word. If you ever want to amount to anything for the Lord, you have to be a man, a woman of the Word. Because it's through these precious promises that we will grow. And then he says, and beside this, giving all diligence. Now, the phrase in the Greek, giving all diligence, means spend in extravagance means spare no expense to add to your faith, to grow your faith. I think about what we spend money on. We spend money on our house, don't we? When we have a party, we, when we invite people over, what do we do? We buy new decorations, spend money on flowers and bushes, making things look proper because we want to impress people, don't we? What else do we spend money on? Vehicles. We want to drive the sharpest ride to church. Don't look at mine. It is filthy. <laughs> if you have kids, you can say the same thing. 
But we spend money on those things. Why? Because they're important to us. We spend money on education. Why? Because we think we'll, a better education will lead to a better career, which leads to a better life. So we think. Or so it should. But all those things are so important and we spare no expense. But yet it's like in our Christian walk sometimes, we give God what's left over. We're not extravagant in our fellowship with Him. We're not sparing any expense to grow and develop our faith. Any time in the Word, it's just what's left over the last part of the day. And we might turn on the Bible app as we fall asleep. Nothing wrong with that. But listen, it should be our priority to grow as Christians. Your faith, your Lord Jesus Christ should be your one priority. To grow in Him, to develop your faith, to develop strength and godly character. You should spare no expense. You should pursue that with every fiber of your being. That should be your heart's desire is to know Him and to become like Him. To spare no expense. He said, add to your faith. Remember, we're saved by grace through faith, right? So we have faith at the beginning. We are born again. We are that little baby. But now we're adding. Now we're progressing. Now we are growing. Now we are expanding. Now we are becoming what God's called us to be. We are adding to our faith virtue. We are already justified in Christ. Now we are becoming sanctified. Now we are growing in Christ's likeness. Add to your faith virtue. Now some people call these the seven virtues. Some people call them seven graces. We'll call them seven characteristics. And they're not exactly a formula or step-by-step -step plan or building blocks or dominoes that you, you master one, you go to the next. No, all of these are meant to come into play together. And as you grow in one area, you will progress in the next. So add to your faith virtue. Now virtue in our day we think of chastity or sanctity, don't we? And that's part of it. But virtue in the Greek means excellence. That's what it literally means. Excellence. The Greek philosophers had a word for virtue or a phrase for virtue and it meant the fulfillment of a thing. The fulfillment of a thing. What is something that's excellent? Guys, you've got a tool, you've got a drill that works. Does its job, that thing's excellent, ain't it? It's excellent. Why? Because it fulfills its purpose. It does what it was created to do. Women, you've got a, a pot or pan, and I don't mean to be sexist in these remarks. You might, gals, you might like using power tools. Guys, you might like to cook. This is just general, okay? So don't throw rocks at me. You might have a, a favorite pan or a favorite casserole dish. At least I hope you do, that you like to use. And that thing's excellent. Why? Because it fulfills its purpose. It's doing what it was made to do. Christians, if you want to be excellent, serve the Lord. Do what you were created to do. Be Christians. Be evangelists. Spread the gospel. Grow in love. That's virtue. That is excellence of character. I want to ask us, does excellence of character define our walk and our life? Virtue also means strength. The Greeks had, they said that the Greek gods possessed virtue because they did heroic deeds. Now we know there's only one God, but He gives us courage and strength to do heroic deeds in His name. 
And I pray that God would raise up men and women of excellent character, of virtue, of courage, of strength, to stand upon the Word, to stand upon what God says and stand up for what's right. And then he says, add to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, gnosko, means discernment. Now Peter writes in his last verse of his epistle, or the last part of his epistle, he's saying, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it astounds me the amount of biblical illiteracy in the church. You talk to people who have been saved 20, 30, 40, 50 years. As Paul says, you should be teachers already. And you just bring some form of doctrine that's in the Word that they should know and they don't have a clue. Why? Because they have failed to grow in their knowledge of the Word. So grow in excellence, grow in knowledge. Know the Lord. Know His Word. Knowledge also means discernment. You want to know how to differentiate light from darkness, truth from heresy? It's by becoming knowledgeable in the Word. That's how we grow in discernment. And then to knowledge, temperance. Temperance means self-control. Being able to control yourself, to conduct yourself in a, in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Living a life that brings honor to Him. I want to ask us this morning, do we live a life that is controlled by the, by the Holy Spirit? Are we living lives under the influence of the Bible? Are we controlling and conducting ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the name of Christ? He says to temperance, patience. Now patience is endurance, long-suffering, been described by some people as love stretched out. <laughs> Loved stretched thin and sometimes it is so thin you can see through it, ain't it? <laughs> but godly character suffers long. It's patient with people. Even those people who are not easy to get along with. <laughs> that patience also means endurance. One of my favorite preachers, they like to say that true saving faith is enduring faith. True saving faith is enduring faith. How can you tell if a person's truly been born again? Show me their life. Show me where they stand at the end of their life when the Lord calls them to their eternal home. Saving faith is enduring faith. It's faith that doesn't quit. Faith that progresses. Faith that grows. Faith that doesn't give up. And then he says to patience, godliness. In the Greek it literally means to be well-worshipped. Or a well-worshipper of God. It means to be right in your fellowship with God. Christians, does that define our life? Are we walking in step and in fellowship with the Lord? It also means to have godly character. It means when people look at us, we exude godliness. When people see us, they see Jesus. Not that we are divine or not that we are Jesus, but we are Jesus' people. You know, the reason why people 
the Christians started to be, or began to be called Christians in the first place is because they were saying these people are little Christs. They're just like their master. They act like him. They think like him. They talk like him. So we're going to call them little Christs. Christians. In fact, they meant it as an insult. Man, what that is the best thing you can ever be called. I pray to God that my character, your character, so resembles Christ that they would say they are little Christs. They are just like Jesus. They're just like their Savior. If that's an insult, insult me all day long. Let me be identified with Christ. Let me walk so close to Him that I exude His characteristics. And these virtues that we're reading about, these are the characteristics of Christ. And these come as a part of being partakers of His nature within us. Moving along. God, to godliness, brotherly kindness. Now this is talking about love of Christians, brethren. That's why it's called brotherly kindness. It's people of the same family. I'm reminded in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, he says, Let brotherly love continue. Peter said that we've been saved unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Jesus said we can know that we've passed from death into life because why? You love each other. I pray that we would have that love, that fellowship. Listen church, we have to stand together. We've got to stand together. If we don't, who will stand with us? That's the reason why we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's the reason why we come to church. That's the reason why it's important to be involved in a local body of believers because we need each other. Do we cherish each other? Are we growing in love and in fellowship with our fellow believers? And lastly, he says, charity. Now, charity is agape. That is love for everyone else. Love for those who are outside the faith Love for those who are lost. This been my prayer that God would burden our hearts for the lost. I'm taking an evangelism class in school. And man, let me tell you, it's been really good. It's so simple. Man, it is so simple. We complicate spreading the gospel. And it's so simple. It's just telling people about Jesus. The hard part is getting Christians to want to tell people about Jesus. And I pray God ignite a fire within us that we would love people. I love my co-workers, but none of them are saved. And it burdens my heart to think that if they were to go out in eternity, they wouldn't be in heaven and I would never see them again. You know what? That brings tears to my eyes. And I pray God burden our hearts. Let us have agape love. Let us be burdened for those who are lost. Verse 8, and we're wrapping it up. He says, For if these things be in you and abound, we're supposed to abound in these things, they make you that ye shall, listen, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three things, three areas that Christian growth, that we see in Christian progress, in Christian growth. He says, if these things, the, what things? The virtues we just read. If they are in you, if they are abounding, they will make you fruitful. Number one, they will make us fruitful. He says, if you are growing, you won't be barren. Literally means to be idle. That's what the word barren means in this context. To be idle means to be doing nothing. 
How many of us as Christians are content just coming to church, sitting on the pew, hearing a sermon, not really taking it to heart and doing the same thing week after week? You know what? That's idleness. You know what Jesus was? Even as a kid, he was about his father's business. Let us not be idle in the things of God. He'll keep us from being barren or idle or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to bear fruit, if you want a vibrant Christian life, then grow in these virtues. You say, well, how do I do that? In the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It comes from knowing Him. Remember Jesus said in John 15, about Him being the vine, we being the branches, and He's called us to what? To bear fruit. As Christians, we should be bearing fruit. What is fruit? We think of the book of Galatians that lists the fruits of the Spirit. Growing in Christ-like character. Hebrews talks about the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to God. Soul winning is fruit. Investing in the kingdom of God is fruit. What good is an orange or apple tree that bears no fruit? To be cut down and thrown into the fire, isn't it? What good is a Christian that's not fruitful? Jesus said, I've called you ordained you that you should bear much fruit. He expects fruit from us. And if we develop these virtues, they will not allow us to be unfruitful Christians. So spiritual growth, it creates fruitfulness. It's by hanging out with Jesus, by knowing Him. You know that, that, that branch on the apple tree, it don't fret. It don't worry about how it's going to bear fruit. You know why? Because he's connected to the tree. You know what? So many Christians are like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do what God's called me to do? You know what? Stop fretting. Hang out with Jesus. You're in Him. And if you grow in Him, guess what? You're naturally going to produce His characteristics. You're naturally going to produce fruit. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and forgot that he was once purged from his old sins. Let's unpack this verse for a minute. Second thing that spiritual growth produces. It produces, firstly, fruitfulness. Secondly, produces vision. It says, whoever lacks these things, whoever is not growing as a Christian, they're blind. They cannot see afar off. Means they're, they're nearsighted. Means they don't have quite a good perspective on life. They're not viewing things from the lens of eternity. They're only living for themselves and for the here and now. They're not investing in the kingdom of God. They're not investing in their spiritual development. They're not investing in winning souls. They're content in just sitting on the pew. They're blind. They've lost their vision. You know, I, I look around in, in a lot of churches that I've been in. There are people with no vision. There are people with no dreams, with no ambition. Apathy is killing churches across America. Just unconcerned. They've lost their vision. Why? Because they've stopped growing as Christians. But He promises if we grow, we will have vision. Jesus told His disciples, He said, Look up, boys, look up. The field's white. It's ready for harvest. There's, there's a, a earth full of people who need evangelizing. There's crop ready to be harvested. There's work to be done. You just got to have perspective. You just got to have vision. 
And I pray, God, give us your eyes that we would see people the way you see them. Give us a vision. Give us an eternal perspective on life. Because he says, those who have lost their vision, they forget that they were once purged from their old sins. They develop spiritual amnesia and they begin to take their salvation for granted. Last verse. Wherefore the rather brethren, give all diligence. There it is again. Be diligent. Spare no expense. Lavish your godly character to make your calling and election sure. The third thing that spiritual growth will bring is security. Now we know the security of the believer is in Jesus Christ, but let me tell you, there is something so reassuring for you in your Christian life to know that you're a believer when you examine yourself to see spiritual fruit, to see spiritual progress. And that gives you an assurance before God. Can I tell you, can I just be as blunt as possible? If you claim to be a Christian and there is no fruit in your life, there is no spiritual growth, there is no change, there is no hatred for sin. There is no longing for holiness and righteousness. If there is no love for God, if there is no godly character, then you are not born again. And anybody who would challenge that, I would challenge them to go home and read First John. Because it is impossible for you to be born again in everything not to be different. Imagine somebody moved into your house... Imagine they like tuna steak and they cook that every day for lunch. Would you not know that somebody else is living in your house? You would know by the smell of it. I don't know if I've used that illustration before or not. It's one of my favorite ones. I know it's lame. I'm a lame guy, so I like lame, lame things, okay? You would know somebody else is living there. So how on earth can we expect people to profess faith and them not know that something radically different, someone radically new, someone radically different than themselves is living in their heart. Being born again produces radical change, radical growth, radical results. So examine yourself. Are you growing? Are you progressing as a Christian? And if there is no growth, if there is no growth, if there is only profession without possession, it's exactly what you've got. It's just a profession without possession. There's no, nothing real, nothing of substance there. But, he says, if you do these things, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. In other words, he said, make sure that your life lines up with God's calling and His election. In other words, this will give proof that God has called and elected you. It gives you assurance for yourself and before men that God has called and elected you because of their, your spiritual progress, because of the fruit you are bearing. And it says, if you do these things, you will never fall. Never fall. Jude says that God is able to keep us from falling and to present us blameless before His kingdom. I'm glad God is able to keep us. Because I couldn't keep myself, but He can keep me. But you know what? I am still to do my part and give diligence to work with the Lord. 
He works in me to will and to do his, his good pleasure. But then he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we're not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works. We are saved by grace through faith unto good works. Good works proves that salvation has really taken place. We are His workmanship created un, uh, in Christ Jesus unto good works. It gives us assurance and we will never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter paints us a picture in, in Greek language whenever he says an entrance will be ministered unto us abundantly. That means a joyous celebration when the Lord calls you home, you, you cross the finish line, the grandstands of heaven will erupt in applause. There will be a joyous, triumphant entrance for those who have borne fruit, for those who have grown in the Lord, for those who have spiritual fruitfulness, vision, and security. It's actually a word picture used in Greek, um, in Greek literature for an athlete who is coming home after having competed in the Olympic Games. He's the hometown hero. Everybody gives him a joyous welcome. You want heaven to be happy when you get there? You want there to be an eruption of applause? You want joy on the face of your Lord who will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Then grow in these virtues. Grow in these characteristics. And like an Olympic athlete returning home, there's going to be a joyous time when you enter heaven, seeing the face of Christ, being united with loved ones who've passed on before. Examine yourself. We go to the doctor, yearly, monthly, whatever, for a, for a checkup. Let's have a spiritual checkup. Are you growing in these virtues? Do you have fruitfulness? Do you have vision? Do you have security? If you do these things, Peter promises you will never fail to bear fruit. You'll have spiritual perspective and you'll have an assurance before yourself and other people that there has truly been a change in your life. I want to ask you people who profess faith in Christ, Jesus said that many will stand before Him in that day saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that in Your name? Didn't we prophesy, we preach sermons, we cast out demons, we healed the sick, but what will He say? He said, I will never depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Never had a relationship with you. You never had true saving knowledge of me. I want to ask you, does the Lord know you? Do you truly know Him or are you simply going through the motions? Check yourself. Examine yourself this morning. Ask yourself, am I truly in the faith? For those of you who have trusted Christ as your Savior, like I said, this sermon's not to get you to doubt your salvation. Our salvation is sure and secure in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. But sometimes we have to reevaluate ourselves and examine, am I growing? I know I've been justified, but am I growing in sanctification? Am I growing in Christ-likeness? Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it convicts us, that it challenges us, Lord. Lord, I pray You give us fruitfulness. I pray You give us spiritual vision. Give us assurance. Lord, let us grow in sanctification, because that is Your will for us, Lord. 
And I pray, Lord, for these people who maybe have a, a profession but not a possession of, of true saving faith, Lord, that they would examine themselves and cast themselves at your feet and depend solely on your mercy. I pray, Lord, let us grow in these virtues. Let us grow in Christ-likeness. Because you promise, Lord, that if we do these things, we will never, ever fail or fall. And that you will see us all the way home. And that there will be a glorious, glorious entrance into heaven made for us. Lord, move upon our hearts. Convict us of our, of our sins. Awake us from our apathy and our unconcern. Lord, give us spiritual vision. Prune dead branches that there may be good fruit. Lord, sanctify us for your use. In Jesus' name.